Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are continuing our series on means and ends with our second part discussing the issue of spanking. In the last episode, I kind of laid out why spanking as a means for discipline has seemed feasible to me for most of my life, even after kind of um, coming around to, to nonviolence, why spanking seemed like it, it wasn't necessarily problematic. However, I have begun to register quite a number of doubts since going down the nonviolent path, and just in terms of, of thinking of discipline um, in regard to best practice for, for behavior. So today I want to explore um, a book that was very helpful to me, um, even if not fully convincing me against banking, of laying out a case for um, some of the problems with it and, and um, an alternative approach to it. So today I want to lay out a case against spanking, and uh, even if you don't come to the conclusion that spanking is morally problematic, um, I I think it also kind of makes the case for why spanking is probably not the best practice, most of the time, if ever. Before we get into the case against spanking, I want to recap a little bit so that you're caught up to speed if you didn't listen to the first episode. So one one reason that spanking seemed legitimate to me is because when you have a a one-year-old who looks at you and purposefully disobeys you, um, and I mean like our our oldest was doing this at 10 months old. Like I literally, uh, uh, she would throw food on the floor and like, I'm pretty sure she knows what she's doing. And right around a year, she... Uh, you know, we'd say, put your food on your tray, or don't throw that, something like that. And she looked at me, and um, and she acted like she put her food back on her tray. And then I looked away, and she threw it off. Well, my wife, she saw her throw it off. Like, my, my one-year-old kid pretended to put it on the tray, like she moved her hand and acted like she put it on the tray, and then when I turned away, she threw it off. Like, she knew what she was doing. And you can't really reason with a kid at that age. She knows what she did is wrong. You can't really explain it all, but you all just know. Like, she knows, you know, everybody knows. And so um, a, a smack on the hand, something that uh, is a little bit shocking but non-injurious at all, seems like a, a really reasonable way to be able to discipline. You can't put the kid in timeout. You can't, um, you can't reason. Like, what else are you going to do? So to have something that is, is um, this stimuli that initiates discipline seems reasonable. And when you talk about a smack on a hand, that doesn't seem like violence, like what most people mean when they say violence. Um, violence seems like it would be something injurious or, or a slight against somebody. So if Jesus says to turn the other cheek, uh, even if you slapped somebody, okay, maybe that doesn't do damage that's not physically injurious, but the reason that you would slap somebody, it would be extremely disrespectful. 
Is it really violence in the, any of these ways to smack your kid's hand for being disobedient? It doesn't really seem like it falls into the category of violence. We know that the Bible refers to the rod, and as I mentioned in the first episode, I have yet to find a study that, um, that I, I think controls for all the terminology and factors uh, that, that shows that spanking is, is problematic. Okay, you can find lots of studies that say spanking is problematic, but they don't control for how hard the spank is, the scenario that parents go through with spanking. Do they have conversations with their kids? Um, is there respect in the home? Like None of that is really controlled for, um, or only one of those factors is controlled for, and they, they leave out some important things. So I just wasn't happy with the, with the scientific literature against spanking either. But in light of all that, let's go ahead and move on to the positive case, uh, or I'm sorry, the negative case for spanking, the case against spanking. First of all, I'll, I'll just give something anecdotal. Uh, anger seems to be a big problem in spanking. Now, I've definitely had some good discipline moments using spanking where we have conversations and there's this acceptance and repentance and um, and then there's there's a spank that kind of reinforces that. Um, so yeah, I've had some good spanking moments that I feel were productive. So even if spanking were wrong, I think that we've had some good spanking moments. Um, but I can also honestly say that there were instances where I know that I did not use spanking as discipline, but I used it as as retribution. Uh, especially with multiple kids when life is crazy, it's too easy to do the wrong thing. Spanking is one of those things that um, it doesn't require time and distance. So if a kid's right there and something really angers you, like they, they made a huge mess on purpose or because of negligence or they're really disrespectful, because spanking is right there, it's so easy to just just spank away, just go and hit. Um and to do that out of anger, which, um, first of all, shows something negative to your kids that, that you're reacting out of anger. Secondly, it could lead you to make rash decisions, whether that's to hit too hard or whether that's um, not to have a conversation, to make, it, to make it about retribution, right? An eye for an eye as opposed to some uh, discipline. Um. So I think anger is, is too easy to feed into spanking. It's something that is easier to misuse than some of these other forms. So time out, right? If you have your kid go to time out, um, could you do that out of anger? And have I done that out of anger? Sure. But you're going to tend to have um, a, a lower threshold for... Uh, for potential harm when we're talking about spanking. It's, it's too easy to cross a line that's a really big problem to cross. Uh, second anecdote is I would say that, that spanking for me was too easy. And it sort of goes with number one because you know it's right there and you can just do it immediately. And, and there's some positive aspects to immediacy which a lot of people will put forth for spanking because, because it is immediate. Kids kind of get it over with. Um, but 
I also think that this is a problem because generally when spanking is done right, you have a conversation beforehand about the wrong that's done in order to discipline because spanking is to reinforce something that you're trying to teach. Um, And when you do it this way, it kind of it kind of counters the the advantage that people say there is with spanking. You know, they say, well, it's an immediate discipline, and then it's over with. But if you're having minutes worth of conversation before the spanking, then uh, there's a lot of anticipation of the pain that's going to come. And what's the difference between that and time out where the kid uh, is anticipating the conversation that they're about to have? So spanking really, if it's done right, isn't immediate like it's touted to be. Um, And it's also easy to circumvent the process and just spank, right? It's right there. It's just easy. You just whack once, whack twice, don't really have a conversation, and that's over. Now I'll say that I, I sometimes make time out too easy because the kid sits there for three minutes, and then you say, all right, time's up, get out. Right. So you can have the same problem, um, but when you're going to spank a kid and do physical harm, uh, not harm, physical pain, then... I don't know, it seems like without an association of discipline and conversation, uh, that that can be problematic. And one thing that you, you tend to see in the nonviolent literature is that easy solutions lack creativity and are often not the right solutions. They're often solutions that we use to avoid doing the right thing. So to me, spanking was too easy to do out of anger, and it was too easy. It was just something that I always had and had available and could just do it and get it over with. Okay, let's move on to to the third thing. And this is where I'm going to get into um, something uh, the case that the book Corporal Punishment in the Bible, which I'll link in the show notes, uh, which that book gets into. And I, I highly, highly recommend the book. It's pretty short. It's actually half of what it looks like it is because... Um, the the case that he makes is the first half of the book, and then he lays out some practical applications, which is great. But if you want the case, I mean, you're talking about maybe 100 pages. It was really good. But I'm going to try to lay out the case for you here as the book lays it out. So my third point here, and getting moving away from the anecdotal, is that spanking tends to undermine or ignore our biblical hermeneutic. And what I love about this author is that, well, first of all, he's very humble. He, he is not picking at the spanking crowd, and he shows great respect for them. So the, the tone of the book is awesome. But what I like about his argumentation is that a lot of times what he's going to do is he's going to use the, the, uh, their own logic and their own intuitions in terms of the spanking community. He's going to basically use their, their logic to undermine their position. And the author identifies seven areas where pro-spankers don't follow the Bible, so they underline, uh, uh, they undermine their biblical hermeneutic. So first of all, age limitations, then number of spanks, number three, bodily location of the beating, four, severity of the beating, five, instrument of discipline, six, frequency of beatings, and seven, emotive disposition of the parent. So we'll, we'll summarize each of those here. So in the Bible, 
there aren't age limitations on spanking. Yet, the pro-spanking community tends to say, well, we use this for kids at young ages because you can't reason with them, and then we move away from that. It's just not appropriate for kids, you know, older than 10 or 12 or whatever the number is. And the author's like, it, the Bible doesn't give you age limitations, and it actually implies in some places that we're talking about older kids, maybe, maybe even adult kids in some cases. Uh, the number of spankings and lashes, right? Uh, Dobson and other people will say, I think it's like two, two or three spanks, but we see that corporal punishment is uh, allows for a lot more than that. Number three, bodily location of the beating. Proverbs, I think it is, talks about on the back, and um, so some of the places where we see lashes or beatings or whatever, um, and I use the term beating here. I know it has negative connotations in our society, but you know that's the word you're going to get. You're not going to get the word spank in the Bible. So the bodily location of the beating is different. It's a place that we would say is inappropriate. The spanking community would say is inappropriate. Number four, the severity of the beating. Um, in the Bible, it talks about bruises resulting in welts and wounds and how those are good and, and healing and, and disciplinary. But the pro-spanking community would not say that today. Number five, the instrument of discipline. They talk about rods, beating kids with rods. Um, and uh, so we, we would not uh, accept that kind of thing today. Number six, frequency of the beatings. Um, most of the pro-spanking community are going to argue that you don't use spanking as a primary method. It's something that maybe for extreme circumstances like extreme disrespect or uh, physical harm to a sibling or something like that. But the Bible talks about actually using beatings frequently. And the last one is the emotive disposition of the parent. There are places in the Bible where it talks about God uh, doing discipline and physical harm out of anger um, or, or talking about being angry with people in our judgment. And the pro-spanking community moves away from that. Now, the author applauds the pro-spankers for departing from the Bible in, in these regards, but he wants to call them to recognize that they do indeed depart from the biblical way of spanking because the pro-spanking community likes to say, you know, we don't see time out in the Bible. We don't see these other methods of discipline in the Bible. So what we do see is spanking or beating or whatever you want to call it. And since we see that and it's explicitly used, then that is the only form of discipline we actually know is mandated. So um, not only is it an acceptable form of discipline, but it's actually a, a very good form of discipline, a right form of discipline. And the author says, hey, look, you guys want to want to talk all about the Bible and how the Bible uh, upholds spanking, yet you don't don't uphold the way in which it talks about corporal punishment. You recognize that we've moved away from that and that that's a good departure. And because we've departed from it, um, not because we're anti-biblical, but because we recognize the trajectory of the Bible is redemptive. And so we've moved away from it in a redemptive way. And if we can do that in terms of the severity of uh, discipline or the physical harm that comes in discipline, 
um, the extent of it, maybe we should move away from physical harm altogether, especially in light of the redemption of Christ in the New Testament and his teachings. Very beautifully, the author is going to relate this topic of spanking to another biblical issue, and one of extremely deep intuition, slavery. The author starts with a quote from John Henry Hopkins, who was a, a Christian who just couldn't bring himself to accept the abolitionist viewpoint. And the author gives a quote from, from Hopkins, which is going to be helpful for us as we get to our, our issue of spanking. Hopkins says, If it were a matter to be determined by personal sympathies, tastes, or feelings, I should be as ready as any man to condemn the institution of slavery, for all my prejudices of education, habit, and social position stand entirely opposed to it. But as a Christian... I am compelled to submit my weak and erring intellect to the authority of the Almighty, for then only can I be safe in my conclusions. Now, this wasn't just a, a one-off quote. If you've ever read um, Mark Knoll, who's a, a famous Christian historian, I think he's evangelical, but he has a, a very good book. I can't think of the name of it at the moment, but it is on like slavery, the race during the Civil War era, whatever, uh, in in uh, early American Christianity. And I mean, this was like the the people who were trying to be abolitionists were the people that we would consider liberal today. You know, they weren't taking the Bible seriously. And a lot of people who upheld slavery were people who argued for biblical literalism and for uh, just face value reading of the Bible. Whether it's Old or New Testament, you're not going to get abolition of slavery concepts directly from the Bible. In fact, uh, even in the New Testament, it's going to seem like the institution of slavery is being upheld. Uh, it's only if you read things in a redemptive way, and you, I don't want to say take liberties with the Bible, but you, you follow the Bible's trajectory of what it's really trying to get to, the heart of what it's getting at, uh, it's only if you do that that you're going to be able to say, "Oh no, slavery is is very clearly wrong." How could you? How could we affirm that in the light of Christ? So a lot of people today struggle with this when we go to our Bibles. We struggle with Old Testament passages on slavery as well as, as some of the New Testament ones. Though the New Testament ones aren't nearly as as abrasive, but Webb shows the the author of this book shows how slavery was in comparison to the ancient Near East laws and how slavery as a practice was being redeemed up until it was abolished in early Christianity and then again in, in modernity. So we see this trajectory of God uh, being patient with the Israelites and slowly revealing and revising their form of slavery to be far better than the cultures around them. So we today, including the pro-spanking community, uh, don't think that the Bible condones slavery in the Old Testament, or, or doesn't condone slavery like it seems to in the Old Testament. Uh, we recognize the distinctiveness of biblical ethics when viewed in their time. Um, but we also recognize that through the revelation in Christ and the progression of redemption through history, leading up to the full revelation of God in Christ Jesus, that abol abolishing slavery is not just anti 
uh, is not anti-biblical, but actually it's the most biblical thing that we could do uh, to, to fit the trajectory uh, of what Christ did. Abolishing slavery makes sense, even if it doesn't make sense with a face value reading of the text. Um, it, it's not just further on the redemptive scale, right? It's actually perfectly redeemed when it's abolished. And the author uh, of this book is going to argue that it's at least reasonable to do the same thing with corporal punishment. Um, yeah, it, if it's not necessary, then why not be more redemptive with it? And in fact, the redemptive hermeneutic is really the only way that pro-spankers are able to avoid inconsistency in watering down biblical passages because they want to use the face value reading to say, look, see, spanking is, is not only okay, it's actually a good thing to do. You should be spanking sometimes. But then they have at least seven areas where they're inconsistent on the Bible and they revise it redemptively. Now, it's good that they revise it redemptively, but they fail to recognize that then they're, they're not applying this to the possibility of redeeming corporal punishment altogether. And if you're going to throw out the redemptive hermeneutic, the problem that they're going to then have is then you lose your ability to look at something that we all know is wrong, slavery. You throw out the redemptive hermeneutic, you deny it, you deny that uh, something like spanking can come under scrutiny, then you are basically losing your grounds for abolition, for the abolition of slavery. And to do something like that would cost way, way too much. That would just be crazy. Okay, so we've talked about anecdotally my anger, how I think it's too easy uh, to incorporate spanking. Um, it's it's um, something that doesn't require creativity or really discussion. You can have it, but it doesn't require it. And then we talked about the redemptive hermeneutic. So finally, I just want to talk about the author's experience because I think it's important. The author um, pointed out that most parents defend spanking due to the reasoning level of their kids. Just like I did with, with my child when she was a year old. She knew what she was doing. I knew what she was doing. We couldn't reason it out, right? But we both knew that what was happening was wrong. And since we couldn't reason it out, it seemed like a spanking or a smack on the hand was, was appropriate was disciplinarily appropriate. But then, of course, we stop spanking as they get older, and and that's what a lot of pro-spanking advocates say as well. Like, th- there comes a point when it would be inappropriate for you to, let's say, spank your 12-year-old. Um, it, it just becomes inappropriate. Well, the author talks about his experience with his son. And at 12, so his son was just a, a healthy child, but then at 12, he got diagnosed with degenerative brain disorder and started to deteriorate. The author explains how spanking his son uh, after this degenerative disorder, so after um, you know the 12-year-old, rational 12-year-old, as rational as a 12-year-old can be, and then he regresses um, back to childhood, let's say four years old, five years old, whatever. And the author says that you know his, his kid's 23 years old and spanking would be effective. He could change his son's behavior, at least momentarily, 
through spankings. But the author just knew that there was there was something wrong with that for him to spank his 23-year-old son. And if we're going to use rationality as as a baseline for corporal punishment, then if you've got somebody who's got the intellect of a and reasoning of a 4-year-old, even if they're in a 23-year-old's body, then what's the difference? If it changes their behavior, if it influences them, if it does the things that it it does to a four-year-old kid, why why is there this intuitive problem to do that to a 23-year-old child? Um, Is it because the author knew his child when he was rational and he knew that what the child reverted to wasn't a representation of himself? Um, Even though that is who the child became like that that is who the child is that's where he is at that moment was it because he was in a 23 year old body an adult body no matter how you answer that question it it exposes an inconsistency if you're going to say that you would not spank your adult child were your adult child to reason like a four-year-old it, it shows that there's like intuitively when somebody's in an adult body it's almost as if we ascribe more dignity, more humanity to them. Uh, I know that this is true for me, but I I treat my kids poorly sometimes, almost as if they're less human. Now, I don't do, you know, back in the day, adults used to say, you know, kids should be seen and not heard. Or, you know, don't, don't uh, talk to me. Uh, of course, kids shouldn't interrupt, but sometimes adults are like, Hey, this is this is adults talking. You need to get out of here. And it's not because the the conversation's inappropriate or whatever. It's because we don't want to be bothered by kids. Kids don't have a place at the table to be able to join in conversation. We we don't want to have to explain things to them. They're second class citizens. Um. And that's what the author kind of recognized when he's faced with the possibility of spanking his twenty three year old son. There's something about it that he recognizes is inappropriate. And he says, well, if this is inappropriate when my son's 23 years old, and the same things would apply when he's four. Uh, so, so he brings in the idea of how spanking kind of diminishes dignity. And um, I, I thought it was a very, very powerful anecdote uh, and something that, that makes me consider my parenting, even if even if you would conclude that spanking is okay, I think he highlights he highlights something that's very true about a lot of us and and important to recognize. So as far as the case goes against spanking, that's pretty much it. There's another book that was recommended to me, which I hopefully will eventually get to probably years later when it, it it's not gonna matter for my parenting anymore. But it's called Discipline That Connects with Your Child's Heart. And it's by the Jacksons. If you want to check that out, I'll put a link in my show notes as well. But hopefully, this will suffice for now to get you thinking about how you view your kids, how you treat your kids, how you discipline, uh, regardless of of how you choose to discipline. Um, our discipline should be influenced by the redemptive work of Christ, uh, and it should involve conversations, and it should involve treating our children with the dignity of image bearers of God. For me, that means I'm, I'm moving away from spanking. And um, I, I think 
even if even if I can use it well. Uh, yeah, I know I was critical of, of a lot of those studies because they didn't control for ideal situations and ideal parenting um, because parents should be talking to their kids and there should be rapport between them. But to be quite honest, uh, I think if the research, the scientific literature controlled for an ideal scenario, I don't know that I could, uh, that I would say that I embodied that ideal scenario. And so I think that for scientific reasons, I think for theological reasons, I think for uh, human dignity reasons, I think for, for a lot of different reasons, consistency, consistent hermeneutic, I mean, lots of reasons. I'm moving away from spanking, and um, I think it's something that, that you should consider too. There's a great conversation we could have about, well, what do you replace it with? What do you do when your kids are really young and all that kind of stuff? But that's where creativity and patience and thoughtfulness comes into it. Uh, and if we're not doing that in the first place, then we're not really doing discipline. So that's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it.